0: Can open your Bible to Matthew 24. <clears throat> Matthew 24, and we'll get there eventually. We're going to take a tour of a lot of Scripture today. <clears throat> you know, it's funny, I remember I was, I think I was 12, and my first sermon was from Matthew 24. I preached about Jesus coming back. Because I was fully convinced that if my my first sermon needs to be about Jesus coming back, if I'm going to preach about anything, it needed to be about that. And I, I think I've told you this, I'm sure I have before, but I had seven or eight pages of handwritten notes, and I think it took me three minutes or something. <laughs> I talked so fast, I was so nervous. I was preaching like Jesus was coming back, and I had to get it out. <laughs> and so, yeah, before you got here, I got to get this out. I got to have one sermon in before you come back. I was talking so fast back then they had the micro machine commercials remember those and the guy talked really fast and he says if it doesn't say micro machines it's not the real thing and he would I was talking like that guy and I even probably made reference to that later so I'll try to slow down today and I still sometimes get going uh really fast but when I see Matthew 24 I always think back to my first sermon me and a guy named Joe Joe Kerbel you know we were buddy we were on the Bible quiz team and as a matter of fact, at that time, we both had the whole book of Matthew memorized. It was part of what we were supposed to do. And uh, Matthew, and I think we did uh, first and second, Peter, Hebrews. Um, back then, that's just what we did, Bible quiz. We, we memorized the Bible, and then we went to a place, and we were the nerds, right? And we were the guys that wore the ties and went to the quiz meets and answered questions about the Bible. Yeah, It was awesome. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed it. It was competition. Uh, it made it kind of fun. Uh, you know, as I got older, I thought, man, what a nerd. I was such a nerd. <laughs> Bible nerd. We used to have the junior Bible quiz questions, and we did that as well. We'd sit at home, and, and today I know things about the Bible that I don't remember knowing how I know it, but I just know it. That's how. So do those nerd games with your kids on the Bible. It's all right. It will come back to them. <laughs> it will produce a harvest. So, Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. Um, you know, I did it all through worship, but I just thank you for what you're doing in, in every person here. I thank you for what you're doing in our church, God. You're faithful, and we, we do not forget any of your benefits. And we pray that today there will be a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. That's the whole goal, goal God, of everything we do, is that we would know you better, that we would become more intimate with you. So we ask that you bless this time today in Jesus' name. All right, so today what I want to do is something different, right? <clears throat> and I want to talk to you about uh, the tension of the days that we live in. Like we live in a day of great tension. Um, uh, like, almost like this is true and that's true and they're pulling against each other, right? We live in a day of tension. And so I want to take a brief snapshot of the times that we live in. And I want to propose to you that the attitude that we have about the times we live in will determine what we do about it. The attitude that we have toward the days that we live in will determine what we do about it. I don't want to be someone who's a person of inactivity when I have the answer inside of me. And I don't want to be a person who, who says, oh, it'll get better and not do anything about it. Amen. Amen. So, I'm gonna again, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. I didn't ask you to go to them. We'll, we'll hit Matthew 24. It's a bit longer. But the first Scripture I want to read is Habakkuk 2, verse 14. And this, this is one of the cores to, to the bridge's vision. Um, if you've seen the picture, if you've seen it on the website or um, in the coffee shop, we want to host the presence of God in our families, in our church, in our community, and on the earth. Well, it comes from this Scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. And so my heart, and this is a prophetic, I'm I'm reading to you the tension that's even found in Scripture concerning the day that we live in. How many believe we're living in the last days? Now, there's a difference between the last day and the last days. We are not living in the last day because that's a day of judgment and a day of reward. We're not in that day yet. We're in the last days. I'm going to say the last days. So there's a distinction. All through the scripture, the Bible paints for us a picture of what it will look like in the last days. And then it also gives us a clear picture of what it will look like on the last day. We are in the last days. So for us to have a worldview or a... Um, there's a term called eschatology, and it means how we view end times, how we view the last days. For us to view the last days as if God is just holding back his anger and his punishment, and he can't wait to release it through all the things we read in Revelation, through the different bowls and the curses that are going to be poured out on the earth, that God's just so mad with mankind, and, he, and He's actually sl- a lot of his anger just slips out a little bit in the last days, and he's punishing people. That is a horrible view of who God is. God is not withholding his anger because it's burning so brightly for mankind. He's in love with mankind. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. Because he believes that you and I will make the right decision. Not just you and I, but the entire planet. Think about this. We go back all the way to the garden... He believed Adam and Eve would make the right decision. So he put a tree in the garden that he didn't want them to eat of. And even knowing that they were going to eat from it, he allowed them to make the decision. He still trusts mankind that if they're presented with the gospel, that they will choose him. So much so that all through scripture, there's prophecies like this that says for, let me read it. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. This is a prophetic picture of what we're going to see in our lifetime. We're seeing it right now. I'm going to read some more. All right. Isaiah 2 verse 1 through 4. Isaiah 2 uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. It says the word which Isaiah um, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains. What does that mean? That Jesus is going to be his, his government, his authority is going to be the highest of all authorities in the land. His influence is going to be the greatest. Amen to that. When when is that going to happen? In the last days, which we're living in the last days. It will be established as chief among the mountains and it will be raised above the hills and nations will stream to it. Nations will run to it. Amen. Amen. And many people will come and say, come and let us go to the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. When are people going to run to the mountain of the Lord? The last days. Say the last days. What are they going to say as they run to the mountain of the Lord? Teach us your ways, God, so we can obey you and walk in your paths. This is a promise that you and I are a part of right now on the earth. Man, this is good. Then it says, for the law will go out and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between nations and he will render decisions for many people and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And listen to what it says. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation and they will not train for war. They will never train for war again. When is that supposed to happen? If you look around the world right now, are we still training for war? I think we're in about 12 of them ourselves, maybe more. So there's the tension of what God says it's supposed to look like and what it looks like right now. That same prophecy is restated re, uh, again in Micah. Exact same, word for word. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be lifted up above all mountains. They will come to it. They will run to this. And they say, teach us your ways that we may walk in your paths. And then it says something there at the end, a little bit different. It says, each um, will sit under the vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. That's Micah chapter four, verses one through four. At the end of verse four, it says, and no one will make them afraid. We're living in a time of terrorism. What is terrorism? It's to make someone afraid. It's to threaten someone. Yet everywhere we look, we hear about terrorism. Yet I'm reading in the Bible where it says in the last days, no one will make them afraid. There's some tension going on right now between what's happening and what I see in the prophecies. Isaiah sixty verse one through five says, "Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen up on you." And then it even talks about tension in this scripture, for darkness will cover the earth. Well, you're just talked about arise shine, and now you're talking about darkness. Which one is it? Both. And darkness will cover the the people of the earth, but I love it when there's a but in there, right? Yeah. But the Lord. Will rise up on you and his glory will appear on who? You, me. And then it says this Nations will come to your light. I I sense a theme going on here. Nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord, nations will come to your light. He didn't say people or one person or a little bit here, a little bit there. Nations. Nations. And kings will come to the brightness of your rising. And then he says, lift up your eyes around about you and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in arms. Then you will see and you will be radiant. Everyone say, I will be radiant. The church will be radiant. Mm. And your heart will be thrilled and will rejoice Because the abundance of the sea will be turned over to you. And the wealth of the nations will come to you. Wow. This is a prophecy concerning end times. And this is in the Old Testament. When God was supposed to be really angry and mad at people. And he's telling them this is what it's going to look like in the last days. The days that we're living in right now. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Behold I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So before the day of the Lord, he's going to send the spirit of the prophet Elijah. What's the, prophet, the spirit of the prophet Elijah going to do? He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and curse the land. So before the final day comes, the great and terrible day of the Lord, In the times that we live in, the spirit of Elijah will be released on the earth and it's going to pull the hearts. It's going to turn the father heart back on again. Now, listen, let me say this. There's this movement right now and it's it's I have to be really careful here because I do not want you to misunderstand me. So I'm going to say this first. In the Bible, God says man and woman are equal. There's no difference between man and woman. Men and women should get paid the same if they do the same job. I believe in all of that. But I also believe that men should open the door for a woman when she comes up. And I, I believe that there are some jobs that men should do just because women shouldn't have to do it. It's not chauvinistic. It's just I believe that men should do things so women don't have to do them. I'm not going to finish that and do the other side of it, because that would sound terrible. (laughs) But from a man's point of view, and so right now, there's this, there's this, it's this fake um, message that's being uh, issued out, and it's, it's, it's called Women's Liberation Movement, and it's been going on for a long time, from the 50s and 60s is when it really came onto the scene, but it's kind of changed, and it's amped up a little bit. And it's gotten to the point to where um, it's, now it's called a war on women. So it went from we want women to be free to now it's a war on women. Now listen to me. This is the political uh, things that I'm saying right now. What it has done, it started off good. Women should be liberated. They should be free. And now it's turned into, listen to the language, women's liberation, war on women. What, is the, what does it sound like now? It's gone from we want to free people to if you are not doing what we think you should, then you're at war with women and you should be punished. It's completely changed. It started out with a good good thing and now it's perverted. So to the point to where fatherhood and manliness is looked down upon. Now why does this matter? Because the spirit of Elijah is supposed to turn on the father heart again. We need our father heart turned on. The men need to have their father heart turned on because it's key to the end times. Women can be set free. Everyone can be set free at the same time as men can still be fathers. Because it's key and crucial to what God prophesied would happen, that this spirit of Elijah would come and he would turn on the father heart and this father's heart would melt the hardness of hearts. It would melt that offense that's inside of so many people. It would take away the offense. It would heal the hurt of so many people that feel like orphans and feel like their fathers did them wrong. This is the cure for the American problem. I believe this with all my heart. I believe the ultimate cure for the American problem is a father heart being turned on in America. Because when a father really fathers, not only does he protect and provide and guide and teach, but he also brings discipline which is vital and critical to us being successful in life. The Bible says that we're a fool when we, when we despise discipline. Well, if we're not allowed to be a father, if, the, if fatherhood is looked down upon and the father heart is turned off, then there's no more, there's no more identity because we get our identity from our fathers. We have an identity crisis going on right now, and it's opposite of what's supposed to be taking place. And yet I can tell you testimony of people I know where their father heart's been turned on. How many men in this room, you feel like your father heart's been turned on? And it's a good thing. So we live in this tension where we're carrying around a prophetic solution to a political and a societal problem right now. And it's just being a father. Alright, that was just a sidetrack. In in Acts chapter 2, um, 46 and 47, it says, The Lord gave them favor with everyone and added to their numbers daily. To the new believers, to the Christians. Do you know that He, he says this at the same time they were running for their lives and hiding in caves? And He gave them favor with everyone and added to their numbers daily. There's this tension that we live in. Alright, if you want to go to Matthew 24, we're going to read that. <clears throat> Matthew 24, verse 1. And it says, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to him, uh, came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you that not one stone here will be left on top of each other. It will be torn down. And um, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, would you please tell us what you mean by that? (laughs) And will you give us, tell us what the sign will be of the coming of the end of the age? And Jesus said to them, this is verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you. How interesting. They're asking him, would you please give us a sign that, so we'll know that the end of time is coming. The first thing he says to them is, just make sure no one deceives you. In other words, the times, the end times, will be very deceptive times. So don't let yourself be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ And they will mislead many people. You will be hearing about wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened. For those things must take place. Everyone say they must take place. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to stop it. It doesn't mean that we should pray that wars end. But they must take place. And he tells us why in the the very next line. The end is not yet. They must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. <clears throat> and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are just the beginning of the birth pangs. We grew up with, a, with an end time mindset that that was proof that Jesus was coming. Like when you see wars and rumors of wars and when you hear of famines and pestilence and all these evil things, that's the sign that Jesus is coming because He's angry with the world. And that's His proof because He's letting us feel it. This is just the start of what's coming. He says, you will be delivered into tribulation and people will kill you. Now we read that a little bit differently than the Christians in Egypt read this. And the Christians in Syria and the Christians in Nigeria and the sub-Saharan African plain. We read this verse in the safety and comfort of our nice church. And we read this and says, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And they read that just a little bit differently. In Nineveh, the, the town of Nineveh, which I can't think of the name of it now. Um, uh, it's in um, Kabul or something like that in, in Iraq, Iran. There were, there were hundreds of thousands of Christians and now they're all gone. And they begin to mark them with a sign. Maybe you saw it on the internet for the last six or eight months. It's, I, I follow the Nazarene. If you've seen it, it's an Arabic symbol. It looks, like looks kind of like a J with a dot in here in the middle. And, it, and it's a sign. They would mark the houses of the Christians. And they would mark the house and they would say, either you pay a tax, which was a ridiculous tax, or you convert to Islam, or we'll kill you. And they're doing it. They're just killing them, left and right, all over the place. So when, when we read this, we read it a little bit differently. We have to bake a cake for a homosexual group when we don't agree with it. They give their life. There's a big difference. They're, they're both tribulation. It's both being persecuted, but it's a little bit different persecution. I just wanted to draw attention to how we read it versus the rest of the world. It says, at that time, many will fall away, and they'll betray one another, and they'll even hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many, and because lawlessness increased, many people's love will grow cold. This is a prophecy of what it will look like at the end times. I just read a lot of good stuff that the nation nations will come to the brightness of our rising and that Jesus's mountain will be lifted up above all the mountains and that people will come to him and say, teach us your ways. Right. And then I'm reading here that it's going to be pestilence and wars. And which is it? Both. It's both. And then he says, here's how you'll know the end will come. Those are signs that the end's coming. But here's the end will come. Verse 14, and the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to every nation, and then the end will come. So that kind of tells us what we should be doing, preaching the gospel to the whole world. Is everyone okay? I didn't want to depress you with Matthew 24. It's not the most light scripture reading, right? We need to go and read the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Let's, let's lighten it up a little. John sixteen verse thirty three, he says, "I've told you all these things, so that in me you may have peace." Everyone say peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, you will have hardships. But what does he say? Be cur- be courageous. Be of courage. Take courage. Why? Because I have overcome the world. It's very interesting, right? <clears throat> all right I want to I want to read. We're going to close out, and I want to point us in a direction, okay? Jesus told us to heal the sick. He told us, told us to cleanse the lepers, right? To raise the dead. To cast out demons. He told us to preach the good news. To comfort those who mourn. To help those that are sad to be happy again. Right? He told us that we could exchange peace for despair. He told us that we were to baptize people and teach them the things of Christ. And he told us that our whole household would be saved. And he also said, you're going to do the things that I've been doing and even greater things. This is a prophecy of Jesus telling us what we will be doing in the end times. There's tension, right? And then he says, but you'll also be persecuted. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Why does that matter? Because the, the people that... I don't know if you saw the video, the beheadings on the beach, but they were tortured for 30 or 40 days, or we don't know how long. And they were told to convert or die. And every day they were given the chance to convert or die. And every every day they said it would be our honor to die for Christ, knowing that they would die. And I just think about that, and I think about the conviction that they live with, and I want to live with that conviction. They, they said that if Jesus suffered and he, he was persecuted, then it's our honor to be suffered, to be persecuted and suffered. We, we go through a little bit of pain and suffering, and with our elite Western mentality, we think we're better than it. And it makes us soft. It makes us weak. You know that the church, through the history of the church, has always done best... In the times of greatest persecution. Always. It's the truth. Always. Alright. Let's, let's get some more depressing news. You ready? I'm talking about some tension today. I'm going somewhere. I have to do this. It's like we're, we're playing a, a symphony. And is there happy parts and then there's those sad cello parts, right? We're in a cello part right now, alright? There's the side of people that say the world is getting worse. You know you have any family members? They always talk about dude, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket, it's getting worse. Let's look at some evidence. There is great persecution on the earth and anti Christ mentality right now. True? So the world is getting worse when it comes to persecution in that. There's cultural degradation where the, the the morality of society is being ebbed away. Is that true? It's true. There are over 22 million in the sex slave industry right now, women and children and men. Over 22 million. The media, all they can find is the bad news. And, and as a matter of fact, they don't even just report the news anymore. They like to create the news. That's the new media is we will create a story. If there's not a story there, we'll stir it up. If you don't think that's how they do it, that is how they do it. I I understand this next one, but I want to kind of, it's a soapbox for me. The GMO thing. There's so much bad stuff in our food and it just kills us, right? All right. I just want to throw that in for a reason. You'll see in a minute. Then there's don't vaccinate your children because it causes all kinds of birth defects and issues, right? And so this stuff's going on, you know, right now. There's all kinds of pollution. The world, you know, the the greenhouse gases are falling apart. We had Earth Day last week. We worship you, Mother Earth, like the rest of the world did, Right. I'm kidding, being very sarcastic. Yeah. Pollution is worse than it's ever been. You hear this everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if we don't do these things, and if we don't cut out, you know, our gas vehicles in the Western world, and if we don't stop all of this, then we've only got like 30 more years. And and Al Gore told us that the ice caps are melting. Yeah. And yet they're bigger than they've been in, in ever. In, in like a year, they doubled in size. I mean, it's unbelievable. I watched a baseball game, was it Tuesday? In Detroit, and it was snowing in April. I'm like, man, now it's climate change and climate weirding. It's just getting worse. It's terrible. You hear people talk about how it's overcrowding in in cities. You hear people talk about um, the hypocrisy that's in the church. They're they're the people, the world's getting worse, and here are the reasons why. Ferguson, police are shooting people for no reason. Does that happen? Yeah, it happens. It shouldn't happen. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, There's the the heart of me that says, just give them all tasers. Just let them tase people. And that's so foolish because if if you take the weapons away from the police, what is going to happen to all us people? We're going to be in trouble. So the world is getting worse. There are riots in Baltimore right now. There are riots popping up all over the place. And and when you hear it, the world's getting worse. But then I want to tell you this, the world's getting better. So now we're to the Cheerful violin, high violins and the flutes and whatever. The world is better than it's ever been. Diseases are being vanished from the earth because of vaccines. Don't vaccinate your children. Yet we've taken away smallpox and diseases that killed hundreds and millions of people because of vaccinations. GMOs are bad. Don't, we don't need GMOs in our, in our food. Yet because of GMOs, we're feeding the world like we've never fed it before. Nations that, never, that didn't have clean drinking water. Christians and other organizations in the world are digging wells and they're having the cleanest drinking water they've ever had. They're being fed like never before. Poverty is being defeated better than it ever has in the history of the earth. Did you know right now we live better than any generation, any people, not just in America, but even in these places that aren't as developed, they live better than anyone has ever lived before. So the world's getting better (laughs) with technology within the next 10 years. You won't even have to drive your car. How awesome is that? They're going to promise on this in the next 25 years. Our cars will be driving living rooms. That we plug in where we want to go, and we can watch TV and do our computer and work in our cars as we go from place to place. The 2015 model of it, it's called Tesla. It's 90% autonomous right now, which means you get in, you type in where you want to go, and you sit there, and it drives you. 90% drive by itself. And in five years, it'll be completely autonomous. That sounds like the world's getting better, right? The Internet has made the world a better place. It's made the world a better place. The, 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 car, the gearheads are going to hate it when we can't drive our own cars, right? Like, what happens to our muscle cars? You're not taking our muscle cars away, for it. But the Internet and capitalism has made the world a better place, right? It's better. Did you know life expectancy is on a, a steady incline around the world? You guys okay? Crime continues to decrease. Less crime right now than at any point in time. Major cities, uh, I, I, what was the city recently, they went a record number of days without a homicide. It was New York or Chicago. It was a record number of days, and they hadn't had a, ho- I think it was New York. Yeah, it's not Chicago. They're on the, the, the world's getting worse side right now. <laughs> but it, in New York, they went, it was, a, it was like a hundred and something days or some, a, a long amount where they didn't have a murder in New York City. That is shocking, right? Now, I don't know if the organized crime going back to the world is getting worse. The organized crime covered everything up and they didn't know about it or the world's getting better. No, there just weren't murders. So this tension of these things are going on right now. People right now have access to education that they've never had access to before. I mean, they're dropping in iPads into villages and they're schooling whole whole villages of people that they've never been trained before. Hello? You guys alright? <clears throat> Did you know right now there are more Christians than there have ever been in the history of the world, on the planet? They say there's 7 billion people on earth, and 2.2 billion of them claim Jesus Christ as their Lord. Did you know that? 2.2 billion people claim Jesus as Lord, and only 1.6 are Islam. It feels like we're losing, but we're not. The church is becoming glorious. The world is getting worse. It's, it's full of hypocrisy. No, the world's getting better. The church is becoming beautiful. We live in a time of tension where both sides seem to be true. Both are true. A couple more things. <clears throat> What's the point? I'm glad you asked. Each of these truths, all these prophecies that we read, every one of them, about the world getting worse, the world getting better, wars and rumors of wars, Jesus will be lifted up above all mountains and everyone will run to him and want to be taught by him. They're both true. It's going on. The person that says nothing can be done about it and the person that says everything will be all right, they're the same, remember? And we're not called to be people of inactivity, we're called to change things, we're not victims, the victim says the world's getting worse and there's nothing we can do about it, we feel like we're overwhelmed, well if you view the world that the world's getting worse, then, then you need to stop looking at the world as a victim, Amen. okay, what should happen is if I think the world is getting worse and I use the the scriptures and say, Lord, there's wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, all these things are true, then it should propel me to the same action as as if I believe the world's getting better. Listen to me. I don't, there are churches that will focus on the world's getting worse. That's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. That's not my thing. I would much rather be on the side that says, no, the world is getting better. But the fact is, whether... Whether it's gloom and doom and things getting worse, or man, Jesus is going to be lifted up above all mountains and people are going to run to Him. Whichever one, we should come to the same conclusion. We need to do something about it. Amen. We need to do something about it. Everyone okay? okay? If the world's getting worse, then we need to rescue them. We need to save them. We need to bring the kingdom. We need to bring the answer to them. If the world's getting better, then we need to give away the kingdom like it's candy. Either way, we should come to the same conclusion. We have been put here in the last days as a representation of Jesus Christ himself. And we, as the body of Christ, have a responsibility to, uh, a responsibility to either save those that are, are going to hell or to give away the kingdom as candy. But either way, we have a responsibility to act. Yes, yeah, guys okay? I told you it was going to be a little bit different. Final point. The Christian that gives his head for Jesus Christ and the Christian who gives away the kingdom as candy and isn't persecuted have the same rewards in heaven. Amen? Our goal is to be marked with that mark that says, I follow the Nazarene. And to live like that. As a matter of fact, I think that's probably going to be a tattoo that I will get in the future. That's a very cool, very, very cool. Uh, I want to make sure it says what it's <laughs> supposed to say. I don't want to be going around with some Hebrew word or, or, Arab, or Arabic word. I'm, what in the world does that mean? I have no idea. It means this. No, it doesn't. It means you hate people. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to make sure. But I want to be marked. I was thinking about this at the, at the end when we were saying, I'm a lover of your presence. I, I want the best part of me. I want the best part of me, the thing that is is the best thing about me is that I am a follower of Christ. I want the thing that people honor in me. I want the thing that draws people to me. I want the thing that people um, uh, like about me to be, that guy's faithful to the Lord. He's dependable. All the other stuff doesn't matter. If I can be faithful to him and follow him in the midst of the tension that's going on, you can read and you can think the world is getting worse. You can read and think the world's getting better. I don't care which side you fall on, just don't sit there and do nothing. Just do something, let's go for it. Let's make a difference. And there are gonna be times where both true at the same time and we live in this tension of what do I do? He will tell us what to do. Is everyone okay? I feel like it was important, we don't talk about end time stuff very often here. And I wanted to paint it in this picture. I don't wanna have an end time view that, that allows me to do nothing. Growing up in church, when when you think the world's just getting worse, well, there's nothing we can do about it, but we just got to hold the fort. We just got to hold the fort, and we got to batten down the hatches. We're getting ready for the hurricane, and and we have all our food storage, and we have all of our stuff ready, and if our neighbors come, we're going to turn them away because we got to make sure we have enough for us. I don't want that kind of mentality. I want to be a store in the middle of a hurricane where people know they can come to me and they'll get what they need. I want to be different. And so, Father, we, we thank you because we do live in a time where there's great tension, where there, there are these prophecies that show your mountain being raised and are rising and shining. We see those things, and we also see that there are wars, and there are rumors of wars. But God, I ask it today that you would drive home the point that we have the solution, and that we are responsible. We are responsible for the condition of the world when you come back. So, Father, if the world's falling apart, we can't let it do it on our watch. We must rise up and be the first responders. The world's getting better, we have to be the ones right in the middle contributing to it. That's right. We're taking industries. We're making we're taking over Hollywood. We're taking over the music industry. We want to be on that as well, God. So Father, I ask that you would help us as a church to have the right end time perspective. We know you're coming. <laughs> and we want to prepare the world for you when you come. I feel like we'll we'll in like we'll do our all. You can stand if you want to. This is how I want us to pray. Um in in Matthew 24 when, when they ask Jesus, what's it going to look like? What's a, a sign that the ends are, end times are going to be here? What did he say first? Make sure that you're not deceived. I think that's where we should pray today. We'll, we'll open the altar at the end for salvation, healing, all the other stuff that we want to do and pray for, marriages and all that. But I think that the best thing that we can do right now is for all of us to, to go to the Lord and ask him to please help us not to be deceived. To make sure that we're anchored to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to any other gospel, but only to the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. So, would you just pray where you're at, and, and uh... <laughs> yeah. Father, we ask that you would help us not to be deceived. We ask that there be a spirit of truth in our life that guides us, that leads us. If you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to that because it's the key to being deception-proof is knowing what we feed ourselves and managing our appetites. The times in my life where I was deceived, it was because I was being nourished by something that wasn't from God. Every time. So to stay away from deception, I manage my appetites and my passions to where I'm only fed by God himself. If, if in any area of my life I allow myself to be nourished outside of God's will, I have given the enemy access to deceive me. Because what he'll do is he'll come in and say, oh, you need this. Or, oh, you want this. And it'll be random, weird things. But it always comes back to managing our appetites. So just remember to sure that up. Strengthen, the, strengthen your resolve to manage your appetites. Right? If you didn't get one of these, would you grab one It's weekly prayer strategies? Pray every day of the week. Mandy's listed out what we should pray for for that day. It just brings a unity to the body. And we need to practice, right? All right. I'll say one more thing. So Josiah and Matthias were having a hard time cuz all the their friends in the neighborhood are of the female persuasion. And there's a lot of drama involved. And they're 10 to 13 14 years old. There's a lot of drama involved, right? And so there's these always I'm a referee. I'm just going to start wearing the shirt and going out with the whistle and just be the referee. Um, but Josiah is a lot like his dad in that if, if uh, he doesn't like the, what you're doing, then he would just, he can just cut you out. He's like the mafia. You're dead to him, and it's just really easy for him to just, all right, that's it, I'll cut you off. And I'm, I'm getting to teach him from, from what dad's going through in Sozo, ministry with the Lord, that it's okay to love people even if they're trying to use us or hurt us. It's a really hard lesson. And so what I told him, I said, Josiah, you need the practice of treating people well, even when they don't deserve it. You really need the practice of that, because that's what Jesus was like. And I said, and they need the practice of being treated well, even when they know they don't deserve it, because that's like Jesus. So that's what our job is. As we go into the world, treat people well, because we need the practice of doing good to people that don't deserve it. And they need to know what it feels like to be loved by a father when they know they don't deserve it. That's how we go into the world, right? So we just love you. We bless you. If you want prayer for anything, prayer team's here. We want to pray for you. We want to see breakthrough in miracles. And uh, all right, I I think that's it. Ready? Break. Tuesday starting.